0: An animal,
1: Talks like an animal, Must be an animal. Come here, the animal, Talking animal, Talking animal,
0: walks like an animal, Talks like an animal, Must be an animal. Talking animals. Talking animals.
1: Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. And as I mentioned last Wednesday, WNF fell short of its goal in the station's recently completed summer fun drive. So if you missed a chance to pledge or would like to pledge again in support of any show here on WMNF, please visit WMNF.org and donate much appreciated thanks. Meanwhile, my guest today is Valerie Banka, the Director of Programs for the Alliance for Contraception in Cats and Dogs, ACCND. ACCND is an entity whose chief commitment involves reducing populations of homeless cats and dogs, and while to that end, ACCND considers itself, quote, steadfast supporters of traditional surgical spaying and neutering, end quote, the Alliance recognizes the limitations of spay and neuter relative to the staggering number of cats and dogs born each year. That avalanche of births generates a towering collective of new kittens and puppies the wrong end of a numbers game for these animals a large percentage of which will face a dark fate with this in mind ACCD sees a fundamental need globally for new methods of sterilization emphasizing ones that are faster easier and less expensive than surgery as they say Meaning methods of non-surgical fertility control Such as injections, contraceptive implants And oral medications This is a field experiencing wide exploration Including by, of course, ACC and D Valerie Bank is ACC Director of Programs As I say, drawing on her experience In nonprofit management and animal welfare Including stints at the International Fund for Animal Welfare And the Humane Society of the United States Her background also includes Undergoing a variety of educational training And she holds two graduate degrees We'll cover various aspects of the Alliance for contraception in cats and dogs, non-surgical for fertility control, maybe some surgical methods, too, and more. I want to speak with Valerie Bank in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Also coming up later in today's program, I will speak with Marissa Dupuy, Chief Financial Operating Officer at Coastal Animal Clinic, a veterinary hospital operation with locations in Largo and Tampa. The Largo location plays host to an adoption event in open house this Saturday, June 24th from 2 to 5 p.m., the adoptable animals will be provided by Paw Life Rescue and Sun Coast Animal League. More on this later in today's show. Right now, the list discuss some methods of contraception for cats and dogs with Valerie Benka, with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at WMNF.org or texting 813-433-0885 this is Valerie Banka on Talking Animals on WMNF? Good morning, Valerie.
0: Good morning.
1: Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited
1: to be here. Oh, great. Well, so we're here, of course, chiefly to discuss contraception for cats and dogs, with an emphasis on primarily non-surgical ways to achieve that contraception but first since at the moment you're our tour guide of this realm this morning i'd like to get to know a little bit about you first let's trace your path a bit if i had to guess i would think you were probably nuts about animals from the time you were a little kid you
0: bet (laughs) i was yeah i um i grew up with animals um i you know for a very long time. Um, in my childhood, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, and I, yeah, I, I was an only child and definitely bonded, um, especially with animals, I think because of that and, um, ended up, uh, entering college, um, expecting to pursue a pre-veterinary path. And I ended up Majoring in American literature, but kind of always wanted to circle back to the animal realm.
1: And so, just to back up a little bit, so what kind of animals did you grow up with in your family?
0: I grew up with dogs mm-hmm. um, and a couple rescued hamsters. Okay. Along the way, um, and um, fish.
1: Oh, wow. That's a nice mix. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, in your family, given that sort of cross section, of critters, uh, was there a particular attitude towards animals that that either at the time or later you thought back on that was sort of uh, projected?
0: I think um, you know I was I was lucky in that my my family was always very very good to the animals mm-hmm. that we had and um, and conveyed to me you know from the time I was really little the need to be very respectful of them and respectful of their needs and respectful of their behavior um and it you know that that definitely had an impact long term
1: and then at what point along the way especially after getting the sort of literature oriented degree when did you sort of decide hey working with animals is actually something i'd really like to have be my job
0: pretty soon after after um you know graduating, graduating from college, I was working in the nonprofit field, but not, I was working in an an educational nonprofit, actually, Mm -hmm. and volunteering, um, extensively with, some um, animal rescues in the Washington DC area. And, um, you know, very quickly found myself heading up a cat adoption program for one. And from there I went back to school and that sort of led to the to where i am now
1: so you went back to school kind of thinking hey I, I i'd like to get more training or specific kind of uh education in the realm that i kind of find myself gravitating towards
0: yeah yeah very much so um <clears throat> excuse me i yeah i i first did i thought animals and public policy would be a really interesting um Area to pursue, so I I did a um, master's program at Tufts, coming school of Veterinary Medicine and their mm-hmm. Animals and Public Policy program, and then I um, went from there and did a, a program in Conservation Biology, um, which was really me kind of wanting to be more effective at advancing animal welfare through science.
1: That's really interesting because, as I'm sure you know uh, at least as much as the next person, sometimes conservation gets bandied about in, in ways in the general animal world um, that to some people, some of us at least, think uh, this doesn't have a whole lot to do with conservation, but it's it's a, certainly a powerful word that generates a different response than sometimes how it's actually being carried out.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's definitely true. Um, and I, I think, though, that also there's a lot of potential for a lot more productive dialogue yeah. <laughs> between the you know, con- so-called conservation world and the animal welfare world um, to really come up with some some solutions that um, are effective and you know, workable um, to To both interests. Yeah. And that's that's something that ACC&D strives to do, and that's one of the reasons why I so enjoy working here.
1: Yeah. And so am I right in thinking that that alongside those kind of educational paths that your career in animal uh, welfare and beyond has been sort of characterized by efforts towards... Adoption, uh, early on, you've said you kind of find yourself spearheading that cat adoption effort, and uh, as well as re- kind of, d- sort of, just generally, seems like reducing the animal population, finding homes for homeless animals, and/or again, striving to reduce that population. Is that a bit of a Valerie Banka running theme, maybe? <laughs>
0: it is. I would say so. Yeah, of recognizing that there are, um, you know, there. Are- there are a lot of animals out there that need homes, and there are different ways to improve their lives and find homeless animals homes, and you know, just basically, um, you know, improve the well-being of animals and communities. And you know, adoption is obviously one of them, and humanely managing populations is is another big one.
1: So, why do you think early on, and sounds like pretty much ever since that. Your interest in, and, therefore, kind of your career has tilted towards those things: uh, adoption, slash, reducing, or trying to manage animal population. Why do you think those things drew you, and and, and obviously have continued to draw you, maybe more powerfully?
0: Yeah, you know, I think that there's. It's um, a good question. I think that for me, it it has to do with um, a desire to support more vulnerable beings. Mm. Um, and there's a, a, a strong social justice issue there. There's a strong um, kind of just desire to improve lives of, of species or individuals who, who would otherwise, um, you know, be in a vulnerable position.
1: Yeah. So it's obviously important to you and, and sort of rhetorical here, but why should it be important to others, do you think?
0: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a question that I think has a lot of different answers depending on um, where where you live and what the resources are in, in the areas where you live. But I think that there's... Um, there's a, there's a compelling argument to be made for certainly the, the well-being of animals, I think, is, is a really um, worthy goal and worthy mission. But I also think there's a component of the, the well-being of communities. Um, and I've done a fair bit of international work um, in areas that are really very under-resourced, um, particularly in the veterinary realm. And the number of um, you know, in particular, where I've worked, free roaming dogs has a—they're—they're they're really important communities, but mm-hmm. they also can have a really detrimental effect when when there's not management, and you know, when the animals are in poor condition, and there's the, there's the, something called the one health paradigm, um, looking at the the health of. People, animals, and the environment sort of as, as all interconnected. And when you have animals that can bite and animals that can um, transmit, or dogs in particular, that can transmit rabies to people, there's a real fear that can emerge from
1: that. Yeah. So those are some pretty good reasons that it, everybody should treat it as a pretty important topic. I think so. Yeah. This is Talking Animals. If you just tuned in, my guest is Valerie Benka, the Director of Programs for Alliance for Contraception and Cats and Dogs, an entity whose uh, chief commitment really involves um, reducing populations of homeless cats and dogs, emphasizing non surgical methods to do so. If you'd like to ask uh, Valerie a question or offer a comment, please call 813. 813- email DJ at WMNF.org or text 813-433-0885. So tell me about the Alliance for Contraception in Cats and Dogs, a little bit of an overview of its history, its evolution, and I guess mainly in amp with what its current mission is.
0: Absolutely. Um, So I'll just start with the the mission, um, which is to advance non-surgical sterilization, which we define as a permanent Treatment and contraceptives, which could be temporary, um, you know, of varying durations of of effectiveness for cats and dogs and to promote their global accessibility. So we are definitely a a niche organization. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: We, I think it's important to emphasize that we don't want to do away with surgical stay neuter. <clears throat> but we really want to add more tools to the toolbox and give veterinarians and shelters and guardians and pet owners more options.
1: Yeah, well, I want to come back to that in a sec. But can you talk a little bit more about sort of the history and evolution of um, the Alliance for Contraception and Cats and Dogs? We did, we did go kind of directly to their mission, which, of course, is critical. Yeah, but...
0: you bet. You bet. Um, yeah, so ACC&D, um, it began in its very nascent form um in 2000 at a say usa conference actually where there was a panel discussion on non-surgical sterile and and development and sort of the dream of of effective non-surgical option and um and that panel brought together some real key players early on um, and they, they started talking and um and one of, one of the people who attended that um, panel and that conference was Joyce Briggs, who's now president of ACC&D. And um, those early years prompted some meetings and conferences and discussions and um, just sort of early collaboration. Hmm. Um, ACC&D then became a formal nonprofit in 2005. And um, and I can talk a little bit about what happened from there, um, uh, if, if that's of interest um, at this point. But, the, um, yeah, it became a nonprofit in 2005, and since then, the organization has worked to really advance the field, advocate for the field, advocate for new research, also to serve as sort of a truth teller and be um, an unbiased, independent perspective on different options that are developed or you know available
1: so kind of in the way that you unfolded uh, academically there uh, when you realized hey uh, i'm definitely interested in animals and, and doing more and going back and get getting some more uh, educational training sounds like for you it was important that there would be a scientific underpinning when you um looked into going after the conservation biology degree and it sounds like that's mm-hmm. kind of echoed by Alliance for Contraception, Cats and Dogs, too, that is really grounded in science and scientific findings and research.
0: You bet. Yeah, it is. And I think the other really important thing to mention is that, and because and it really aligns with my values, it's, it's also um, founded as, as a collaborative effort. And there's a real promotion of collaboration and for bridging um, animal welfare worlds scientific worlds, veterinary, pharmaceutical worlds, and groups that might not otherwise talk very much with one another. Mm -hmm. Um, We try to get them talking with a common goal.
1: Yeah. Are there conferences and other things, like the way that the Alliance initially came together, as you just described in 2000, kind of as an offshoot of of, of a conference panel? Are there similar conferences and, and gatherings and other things that you guys put together and sponsor in the interest of cultivating more of that collaboration?
0: There has been, yeah. We've had um, conferences out every five years. Um, and in addition to conferences um, that have tended to have a scientific development track and sort of a field implementation track, we've also coordinated events that we've called Think Tank mm. that bring together um experts from different areas sort of start tackling, um, a specific question. Um, and then we've, we've basically presented at other conferences as well. Um, and that provided some
1: networking as well. Great. All right? Well, let's, uh, we got a caller here. Let's get them involved in the conversation. Hi, you're on Talking now with Valerie Benka. Hello, it's you. Go ahead. Okay.
2: Um, I just have a question regarding contraceptives. That's to me i don't know why we would have contraceptives for cats and dogs when really we need spaying and neutering i don't think it's as if a um a homeless dog is going to all of a sudden say oh darn it i wish i had had children you know these these poor animals are on the streets and um you know i just i just read an article about a, a dog that's been in a shelter for over 200 days. Um, you know, there are just a lot of animals on the street and who need, you know, we need to stop and spay and neuter animals instead of, you know, what are we going to do give them birth control pills? I mean, I, I just don't understand this concept. And, and yes, it may be rooted in science. However, so is spaying and neutering. It's just a curious
1: perspective to me. All right. Well, you came to the right place, caller, because I think uh, Valerie is uniquely qualified to answer that exact question. Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to. So, I think that you you certainly raised a good a good question there. Um, And I have there are a couple thoughts that I have on that. One is that there are so many different um, kind of categories of animals, for lack of a better word, when you think about pets and homeless animals and you know, in different, different, different areas with different degrees of access to veterinary care and surgery, um, and one um, the the options that are currently available are contraceptives. One is an implant called the Pelerin, Um and and it can um, it can last for about six months or twelve months as as a temporary contraceptive and the animal is basically has all the same features as having been sterilized at that point. And, you know, I think that that's been really useful for some people who aren't comfortable um, initially with the idea of staying or neutering. So it's a way to kind of test, test things mm-hmm. out um, and see how, you know, what effect it has on the animals, how the, how the person um, feels about um, feels about the experience so it can be useful for that um, and then the other thing that I think is relevant and and ACC&D has been focusing on this and re-looking at uh, actually an oral contraceptive called uh, magistral acetate um, in light of the pandemic. Um, magistral acetate is, is an oral um, contraceptive that is short-acting but we were you know with with the pandemic in the U.S. that occurred with the early early months of kitten season, there was this massive shutdown um, mm-hmm. in in stay neuter um, opportunities. And even now, there's there's still a backlog in surgeries. Um, there was an estimate in a paper that came out, you know, estimating a deficit of more than two point seven million um, surgeries from the start of the pandemic. So we viewed. Um, M.A. is potentially a short-term stopgap um, mm-hmm. solution um, that people could use to prevent animals from getting pregnant while um, while they were waiting at, at this point in time where there's not a permanent sterilant on the market um, while they were waiting for surgery.
2: I, I appreciate that, and it sounds almost like it's for... Um, people who have pets not necessarily for strays um but i mean i can't imagine trapping strays every six months and trying to give them
1: contraceptives. <laughs>
2: but um kudos for those
1: who do oh, okay well th- thank you so much for your call and thank uh you raise a really good question here thank you appreciate it so so i guess you know wh- wh- where i was just about to go before the caller is that just to kind of note for so many people in animal welfare generally and in the animal shelter world, um, and it sounds like really our call could, could sort of fit one or both of these descriptions, the the goal for decades has been spay-neuter, spay-neuter, and we're not performing spay-neuter. People are talking about spay-neuter and spay-neuter <laughs> campaigns. Right. Yeah, part of the ethos uh, of the Alliance for Contraception and uh, Cats and Dogs, as I understand it, is, as you've already, I think, noted once here in our conversation, spay-neuter has its virtues. You're not saying hey, we're against it or, or we should stop it. But as I understand it, maybe it's a finer line than I was able to, to glean. Uh, but there's a, maybe a better way to tackle the global issue of homeless cats and dogs by these efforts.
0: That's definitely true, yeah. And, and even in the U.S., I think it's easy to assume that because high-quality stay-neuter and oftentimes subsidized stay-neuter is available in many areas, it's available everywhere. Um, but, but that's not the case. Um, so so, in it, so our goal is really, as I said, to add tools to the toolbox to expand options to expand accessibility. I mean this is partially a discussion of access to veterinary care. Um, and And that's especially true internationally as well, where there's an, a serious shortage of, of skilled veterinary. Um, surgeons or, or even veterinary equipment um, to perform surgery in many places.
1: So it sounds like some of the efforts or some of the recommended paths are different depending on what part of the, the world we're talking about.
0: Right, right. Yes. And and I think it's also there's, um, because you're talking about not surgery, but um, a vaccine or some sort of other um, technology, there is a regulatory approval aspect um, to what will be available in different countries in the future.
1: Right, because I would think that part of that effort would be, for a certain purpose, uh, maybe the contraception, the temporary uh, aspect of that would be preferred, but I would think the sterilant part, as you uh, outlined it, being more a permanent measure, Uh, would be critical for, I think, a number of other uses. And I guess part of that, yeah. So, and And that, oh, go ahead.
0: Oh, I I was going to say that that is um, sort of a a major goal um, to develop a non-surgical permanent sterilant. And that is actually um, one of, there's a major, um, funding source with a program called the michelson prize and grant program that is supporting development um towards permanent options
1: right so meanwhile these just just to go back to a little bit what the caller was raising uh so we're talking about ways uh at the moment at least to supplement and sort of add more options to spay neuter no one's saying Hey, th- this is better, and we're replacing spay neuter. we Do I have that right?
0: Yes, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think we would ever say that spay neuter would or should be entirely replaced. But it's you know, animals are individuals, and guardians of animals are individuals, and communities are individ or communities. You know, are vary um, in terms of kind of what. They want and what they need. So we're all about um, expanding access to veterinary care and expanding options.
1: Yeah. So one thing that I think you just sort of touched on, but uh, just to maybe elaborate a little bit more, if you could describe the uh, the very recently published study that seemed to reflect great promise for for a non-surgical sterilum, which seems to be, if I follow you, kind of the the key goal in some regards.
0: Yeah, sort of the holy grail. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was very exciting. Um, this article was recently published in Nature Communications, and um, it was um, about a multi-year study of sterile um, vaccine in female cats. Um, it was a small study, but um, the results were really promising in that no treated cats got pregnant. Um, it so, the, the treatment is this um, single injection gene therapy treatment that inhibits ovulation in female cats. It's given um, via intramuscular injection, like many other vaccines. And it basically prompts the cat's own body to produce something called anti malarian hormone at levels that are high enough to block um, the follicles in the ovaries from maturing and releasing eggs. If there are no eggs, then there's no pregnancy. Um, and in this study, um, there were six treated cats and three control cats. Um, a male, The females were all in a communal area. A male cat joined them for, um, I believe it was 40 hours a week. And um, all three of the control cats got pregnant. Um, two of the six treated female cats mated with the male cat, but none became pregnant. So... So that, it's, it's just a tremendous leap forward for the field and, and really exciting um, and I think holds a lot of promise for the future.
1: So how do we go from there then, uh, Valerie, like in, in the in the wake of that study, which, as you say, seems super promising but was very small, a little multi-year, mm-hmm. what happens next to sort of widen out from there and achieve something that maybe gets us closer to something that could possibly be be used on a, on a wider level altogether
0: sure yeah <clears throat> the um, the the team that has worked on this um, vaccine um, as well as the Michelson Prize and grant program um, which I I um, mentioned earlier that funded the research um, they're moving forward um, with further studies and um, and you know I, the next a uh, next Step um, towards being available commercially for wide use would be to pursue FDA approval, um, U.S. uh, Food and Drug Administration approval Mm -hmm. for it. So there, there are several more steps um, before this would become available. um, But it is, you know, this is a really important start.
1: And um, let me just remind people who might have joined us late. This is Talking Analysis of Duncan Strauss. I'm speaking with Valerie Banka of Alliance for Contraception in Cats and Dogs, which is committed to reducing populations of homeless cats and dogs, emphasizing non surgical methods to uh, do so. So if you'd like to get in on the conversation, ask Valerie a question or offer a comment, please call 813 239 9663. Email dj at WNF.org or text 813 433 0885. So a few questions then about the steps and where we're going with that but one thing uh, i hate that i even sort of have to ask this but since you mentioned this a couple of times does the word vaccine create any sort of issues for what kind of work you guys are engaged in on this
0: um it, you know up and you know to this point um it has not really been an
1: issue okay because it does seem like uh it kind of goes without saying it does seem to be uh, a word that can now seems to elicit all kinds of uh, responses that uh, you know, I just didn't know if that would be like a, at the very least a distraction or or worse for your efforts.
0: Yeah, i i certainly I certainly hope not.
1: So once this, the once all those steps were taken, like any kind of sense of what sort of cost this would involve for for someone once it became available on the market, and they said, "Hey, this is this is a path. Maybe we should go with." And of we, we just adopted a, a dog, and instead of going the spay and neuter route, we'll uh, maybe we'll we'll do this instead.
0: Yeah. So for this um, particular treatment, and I just want to emphasize that the study that was published was actually for female cats, right? Um, not dogs, but there. That's but true. there are yeah. um, there are plans um, underway and, and work underway to um, see if if the same. Um, approach could be effective in dogs um but so just want to clarify that right
1: so does that mean sorry sorry to interrupt Valerie but it's my my own uh, question that I probably should have asked better the first time so is the thing that's underway and still has multiple steps before it would even get to the possibility of FDA approval is that the same exact item that product that was in the study, so this would be specifically for cats, female cats. There might be other projects, or other studies underway for other things, but that's the one we're talking about that's furthest along at this point, and it's going to move forward.
0: Right? Yeah, the okay. the cat um, product is is furthest along, and it and just in, it um, a species specific yeah. um, technology because a cat gene was used in its design. Right. I get um, you. So a dog a dog product would you know and, and require dog-specific version. Yeah, um, yeah but, but regarding cost, um, the cost has not been determined, but it, it's certainly something that's being looked at um, by the team that is developing um, the, the treatment. And the goal is to make the eventual product affordable to um, both the veterinarian as well as the, the pet owner, um, if it's given to an, an owned animal, as well as to ensure that um, it can be used to help control populations of unowned cats. So there's really a, a mission to make this accessible, yeah, price wise.
1: So, so yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit more about that last scenario. So, I mean, as we have now, there's shelters, uh, other places where, as we talked about, there's you know spay neuter, spay neuter. And so there's all kinds of clinics and other things and low cost or, you know, uh, opportunities. So is that sort of what people envision as this gets approval and is, uh, becomes available? So for not just the, the vet use that you mentioned or the pet owner use, but for the wider sort of population of homeless animal use?
0: I think so. Um, and I personally would love love to see that. Um, you know, I, I've been involved in... Um, trap-neuter return efforts um, and they're, you know, they're time-consuming and they're costly and they're resource-intensive um, and I think really stressful for yeah. animals as well and um, our, our dream, our vision is that a product could basically, an animal could be trapped in the field um, probably given a mild sedative um, if they were not a social cat And um, you know, sort of given a a once-over physical, and um, given a a sterile injection and um, other vaccines, um, you know, as as appropriate, and um, released in back into the field, you know, in, in very short order. So it wouldn't involve the transport and the potential overnight stay and the risk of infection and all the things that that we currently faced now with tnr
1: efforts, so it sounds like under that system everything would happen at that one encounter right and then right. There, there wouldn't exactly. be any reason to transport the animal or do anything else it would all take place in whatever period of time that would require to to uh check it out um give the in- injection and anything else but, but it would all just be that that one single encounter and then the cat's ready to go
0: Exactly,
1: yeah, that's the vision. Yeah. So what do you think, are are there um, educational or other obstacles uh, to pursuing this? And then again, projecting a little bit, assuming it gets approved, which sounds like it's quite promising in that regard. Are there things that, that you already have found or that you guys anticipate stand in the way for people to embrace this, even if it does make its way through and get approved?
0: Um. That um, there, there, there are obstacles for sure. I think there are obstacles with anything new and novel. Um, There, we um, ACC and D will be working um, with um, the Michelson team um, and some others on sort of looking at people, human behavior, consumer. Behavior just to just to get a better um, sense of how how the product can be most effective um, when it when it becomes available. Um, there's I think there will always be um, certainly a learning curve as well as some time that it takes for for something new and novel to really become a a key part of um, veterinary and animal welfare
1: protocols. But
0: that's... Yeah, I think that's
1: true with anything new. Yeah, no, for sure. I just wondered if, um, just the, just the inherent difference of everybody's so deeply, as I touched on before, programmed about spay and neuter, spay and neuter. If it's not just that this sterilant would be new, but it would have to sort of overcome whatever kind of fairly deep programming there is in all kinds of folks about the virtues of spay and neuter and, and why and how they should embrace this alternative.
0: Absolutely. But, but again, there, then, then there's the difference between areas where say a neuter is a a real option and areas where it's not because you just don't have the veterinarians and the infrastructure um, and the training to, to make it an option. And those animals right now are kind of getting, getting lost in the, you know, in the shuffle. And, and, and I really can, can experience very poor welfare um, because of it. So, so this again, it just comes back to increasing access and options.
1: Yeah. Well, we got an email here. I'm not quite sure exactly what the uh, emailer is asking, but I'm just going to pass along. It says, ask your guests mostly feral cat problem, and then also ask percentage of stray cats versus stray dogs. So, um,
0: mm-hmm. I'm not. Not uh, try to answer that based on what my guess is. Um, certainly, the in the U.S. Um, and in many other countries, the bigger, you know, the larger population and the larger focus among free, free roaming or or stray or community or feral, whatever term you use,
1: yeah.
0: um, it's it's cats, um, but there are also a lot of countries where the the primary concern um and primary focus is dogs and needs to be dogs both both from an animal welfare standpoint as well as a public health standpoint so we we certainly do hope that um that there are future options um coming down the pike in the not too distant future for
1: dogs yeah okay great well Valerie, we have just kind of It's about reached the end of our time here. Anything else just by way of summary that we should know uh, before we say goodbye today?
0: um, No, I I would say that we have a lot of resources and information on ACC&D's website. And um, if anybody has any further questions or would like to learn more, I encourage you to go to our website, which is acc And um, I just really appreciate you having me on. It's been a pleasure to talk about what we're up to, and I hope that people have learned something interesting.
1: Well, I think so. I think we definitely have uh, explored some really interesting territory here, and there's more, more obviously, to come. So thank you. So we've been speaking with Valerie Banka again, of the Alliance for Contraception and Cats and Dogs. The website is ACC, well, I, I would have said hyphen, but you said dash, so either way, something like that, d.org, so ACC-d.org for the website. Lots of great information and resources to find out more about some of the stuff we talked about today and some of the stuff we didn't have a chance to discuss so valerie thank you so much for joining us today on talk animals i really appreciate it
0: thank you so much
1: bye-bye in a moment i'll talk with Mar- marissa dupuy of coastal animal clinic a veterinary hospital operation with two locations one in largo the other right here in tampa the largo location will be the site of their first adoption event in open house happening this saturday June 24th from 2 to 5 p.m. Right now, we're going to step into the comedy corner with Matt Bronger with a portion of a longer piece that I'm calling Owls in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. Anyway, Harry Potter.
3: Um... <laughs> <laughs> like, I like them. I like the books. I like the movies. But I think they send the wrong message to our kids, and that's that it's okay to own an owl for a pet. <laughs> no. Okay? I'm from Oregon, I know. Owls are made of claws, feathers, and hatred. That's it. (laughs) Like, owls don't give a crap. You ever look at an owl? The rage and hatred in his eyes? (laughs) Up in a tree, like, who? Who? Who's next to die? It's you, mouse! Owl! (laughs) And I'm back, hating everything that lives. But the kids want owls. Look, I know a lot of you guys are like, nuts to you, I'm getting an owl. Don't do it, okay? Because a friend of mine was driving once after a storm, and he found a baby owl that fell out of a tree, right? A baby owl. Can you imagine anything cuter than a baby owl? Like, don't hurt your brain. It's impossible, right? <laughs> Not even a kitten with an eye patch is cuter than a baby owl. And that's cute. A little pirate kitten, right? So my friend... yard. So my friend... <laughs> my friend gets this. Uh, gets it home, and he calls the Humane Society. He's like, hey, I found a baby owl. How do I raise it? And the guy's like, let it go, dummy. The Humane Society called him a dummy. Like, their name means the Be Nice Society. You know they weren't messing around, you know? But they told him this, they said an owl that you raise in captivity will never stop trying to attack you. And it knows it's you, it knows who you are. Imagine having this animal in your house growing strong off its hatred of you. Just sitting in a cage doing owl prison exercises, getting ready. Like, waiting for that day he makes his Hannibal Lecter-like escape wearing another owl's face. Surprise! I'm not the good owl. Death! Like, you come home, he's taunting you. You've had a hard day at work coming home, and you see this. Hey, how's it going, buddy? Yeah, it's me, your owl. Didn't get that promotion, huh? That sucks. No one else sucks, I'm going to kill you when I get out. Oh, you're going to hide from me? You can never hide. My head goes all the way around. You're dead. All right, stay loose. Prepare for war. Stay loose. Thank you,
1: guys. That was Matt Bronger in today's Comedy Corner with a part of a piece I'm calling Owls, taken from his debut on Letterman. Now it's time to speak with Marissa Dupuy. Of Coastal Animal Clinic, where the Largo location is presenting their first adoption event and open house this Saturday. Here to tell us a little bit about it is Marissa Dupree on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Marissa.
4: Hey, good morning.
1: Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals.
4: Yeah, thanks for having us.
1: So first, tell us a little bit about Coastal Animal Clinic and what you think distinguishes it from other veterinary hospital uh, operations.
4: Yeah, so Coastal Animal Clinic, we have two locations, one here in Largo in Pinellas County and then one over in Tampa in Hillsboro. Um, Our Largo location um, was bought in 2016. Um, They're both our privately owned clinics. Uh, Dr. Brooke and Dr. Mike both own these clinics. Um, we have about five full-time veterinarians between both of our locations. Um, we do have some specialty doctors that will come in and do orthopedic surgeries. Um, we have the ability to do acupuncture, ultrasound, um, and then we're a full general practice. So, you know, we can do anything from routine vaccines, x-rays. Again, we have the ability to do emergency surgeries, such as exploratories, or if we need to do any orthopedics or anything like that as well.
1: Wow. Sounds like you got us covered there.
4: Yeah, we we really do.
1: (laughs) That's great. So what prompted this uh, open house? Why now, for example?
4: Yeah, so we actually just did um, a little revamping at our Largo location. Uh, We just painted, um, and we work really closely with a lot of rescue groups around us. We really like to help the community as best as we can. Um, And we decided, you know, why not have an open house, give tours, you know, of our Largo location, especially after our new paint job and some remodeling. And, you know, get some pets, some homes that they deserve.
0: So
1: So it sounds like kind of the the open house and the adoption thing kind of came together right right from the get-go. They were always sort of meant to be together.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) That's great. So describe a little bit about what's going to happen at the open house.
4: Yeah. So um, we're going to have quite a few vendors here. Um, You know, we have some uh, pet and uh, people wellness. So we have um, a lot of, uh, we have Camp Bow Wow joining us um, just to kind of promote them. Um, we also have some smaller um, locally owned businesses uh, that sell pet collars, harness. Um, we do have a few um, uh, you know, boutiques coming for people as well, um, a few random for, for pet uh, people wellness. Um, and then we'll also have, of course, like I said, those pets for adoption. Um, we're going to give some hospital tours, kind of just show them, you know, some of our equipment. We're going to have a few of our doctors here, um, and hopefully, like I said, get some some pets, some good homes. So
1: that's great. How many animals do you think will be uh, at the open house for ad- um, for adoption? Right
4: now, I don't have a set number just yet. Just yeah, of course. You know, these pets are going out for adoption all week before the event. Um, Right now with Suncoast Animal League, they told me they'll at least minimum have seven. Um, They're going to have some young puppies. They will have um, possibly a few of the older pets. And then Paw Life Rescue, I haven't gotten a set number on them just yet, but they should probably have... Close to about seven as well. Yeah, um, and they're going to be more of our older pets, our 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 little oldies but goodies.
1: So. Okay, that's great. So nice mix there for people that come by and say, "Hey, while we're over there, let's look around and maybe uh, take uh, take an animal home." We've been talking Absolutely. about it anyway. Yeah, yeah, and
4: we'll have snacks
1: and all sorts of stuff. So that's great. Cool. So, do you anticipate maybe doing an occasional sort of open house slash adoption event? Just like you said earlier, one of the things you kind of like to do is support. Local rescues and um, it seems like a good means to uh, to do so.
4: Yeah, I think because um, this is, of course, our first our first one. Yeah, so, um, I definitely think we want to kind of make this an annual thing if we're okay. able to. Um, again, because we work with so many rescues to get everybody to kind of come together and you know find those pets their homes and you know get the word out about you know the rescues itself. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of people sometimes go to private breeders and stuff, and you know there's the no
1: so We're saying no to that. Yeah, so, adopt, yeah.
4: don't stop
1: <laughs> Yeah, okay, that, that's exactly right. Well, this sounds cool. Well, let's run down a few of the details real quick here before we wrap up, Marissa. So again, this is this Saturday, June twenty fourth. It'll be two two to five p.m. Coastal Animal Clinic, which I believe the address is ten nineteen Highland Avenue in Largo. Yes. And uh, so you can find out more. Uh, give us your website and/or uh, social media page for people that might be driving around and interested, but maybe couldn't write down some of the details. <laughs>
4: Yeah, so um, our uh, our website is Um and then our Facebook page, you can find us on our Coastal Animal Clinic. We also have our Coastal Animal Clinic Tampa location page as well on Facebook.
1: That's great. All right, well, thanks for joining us. Good luck. Sounds like it's going to be a great, uh, great Saturday over there.
4: Awesome. Thanks for having me, and I hope um, we get to see quite a few of the listeners. So. Yeah,
1: let's hope so. That'd be great. All right, thanks again, Marissa.
4: Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.
1: Coming up on WNF, we'll continue with our public affairs programming for the next hour. Then after that, we shift back to music programming with Jim Ban holding four from 1 to 3 p.m., followed by Robin and Cassie from 3 to 6 Then our terrific Wednesday night block of Latin music. Meanwhile, on this show, at the moment, it's a prize for Name That Animal Tune. I'll be offering something fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault. The first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. Which arguably ties into Saturday's Coastal Animal Clinic adoption event, named an animal tune on Talking Animals on WMF. Who let the dogs out? Hooray, hooray, hooray,
3: hooray. Who let the dogs out? Hooray, 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 hooray. Who let the dogs out? Hooray, 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 hooray. Who let the dogs out? While well, the party was nice, the party was pumping. Hey, yeah, 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 and everybody having a up Yeah, 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 yeah. I tell the fellas, start
1: the name it's And the, oh. the girls to the call. Uh, I have uh, a uh, shot. Uh. let the dogs out? Uh, 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 All right, if you can name that, animal team, we'll take your guests off the air as soon as we finish up our show. With we're rapidly reaching the end of it's the la- latter moment of today's edition of Talking Animals on WNF Tampa. I invite you to join me next Wednesday for another edition right here at 11 a.m. on WNF also invite you to visit talkinganimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. Apple Podcasts are available there, too, as well as our other on other podcast platforms. There are also links to our social media pages and more. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to find out about our guests a couple of days beforehand and other news from the Talking Animals world. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. This is Talking Animals on WNF Tampa, Brandon Clearwater, Largo, Weeki, Washi, and Beyond. My thanks again to Valerie Binka and Marissa Dupuy for joining us here today on Talking Animals. Mm-hmm. We'll see you next uh, Wednesday at 11 a.m. NPR News headlines coming up shortly, followed by more public affairs programming on WNF, and then Jim Bannon takes over to Rocanolia from 1 to 3, and it just keeps going from there. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Talking Animals on WNF Tampa. Thanks.